This is the Life and Soul podcast with me, Emma Forbes. 2020 really was an eventful year, and amidst the madness, we've all had time to reflect on what we most appreciate in life. And although we're still surrounded by uncertainty, it's important to be reminded of what really matters. I'm going to be asking some fabulous guests what makes them tick, asking them what really gives them life and what really feeds their soul. So join me for some nuggets of wisdom, a moment to breathe, and above all, a good old chat over a virtual cup of tea. And I hope that by listening, you'll leave feeling a little brighter about the year ahead. Today, I'm interviewing somebody, a true legend in my lifetime, let alone anybody else's. Prue Leith is a British South African restaurateur. She's a chef, caterer, television presenter, businesswoman, journalist, cookery, cookery writer, and a novelist. Yeah, I didn't even know about the novelist bit. I didn't know how to even get to that bit. She's been the judge on BBC Two's Great British Menu for 11 years before joining one of my all-time great shows, The Great British Bake Off. <laughs> Prue, welcome. I'm so thrilled to chat to you. Well, thank you for having me. And what an introduction. That makes me sound really multitasking. You are. I mean, just starting with the novels, um, seven novels amidst all of this, the 12 cookery books, the columnist writing. I mean, exhausting, frankly. I don't know how you do it. Let's start with lockdown. I've sort of started with lockdown with everybody, but I saw a lovely thing about you saying, you, you know, you made a lot of cocktails in lockdown. Food has been everybody's good side and their downfall. <laughs> Yeah. No, I think I stayed sane for a lot of lockdown by cooking for our local care home, which has 30 staff in it. And I I originally rang them up because I was going completely mad, thinking I I can't go through lockdowns with just making supper for two. It's just too boring. So I rang them up and said, can't I cook for your residents? And they said, no, they're all very old and they're all on on diets and half of them only eat complan and and you know it's too difficult but you could cook cook for the nurses so i thought oh that's good every friday for all the lockdowns i've just done supper just supper for 30 care staff and they have been so sweet because what they love is things that I never get a chance to cook, you know, like great big shepherd's pies and spag bol and chili con carne and mac and cheese and all the sort of comfort food that restaurateurs and chefs never get a chance to cook. Nobody they wants. must be so thrilled with that. I'm, I mean, I, a, I think that's an amazing thing to do, but I'm sure as a nurse, they must, because I know one well, of your passions <laughs> is to change hospital food apart from anything else, which let's be honest, is dire. <laughs> so the nurses bad. who must just grab the sandwich to have dinner cooked by you on a Friday, well, I would then, think it would be know, heaven. I mean, honestly, you've got to, you've got to feel sorry for them. They, they work 12-hour shifts, yeah. and so they have no time to shop. And even if they had time to shop, then they'd be exhausted when they got home and tried to cook. So anyhow, they've liked it, and I've certainly liked it. It sort of kept me doing something that I like doing. <laughs> well, yes. I mean, I think that's. I think that was the sort of case with everybody in lockdown, is that, well, as you know, I'm sure, but doing the Great British Bake Off, everybody baked a lot. I've baked so much banana bread, I never really oh. want to touch a piece again. <laughs> everybody did their version. Yeah, banana bread and sourdough seem to have been the things that have filled people's lives. <laughs> um, I know, it's good. So you had a good well, one-ish. Well, yes, I have, because, I mean, I think, you know, it's the old thing. If you're sort of white, privileged and live in uh, the country, 
you do have a nice time. Uh, you know, I've had a really lovely time. It's been wonderful being at home so much. And also we moved house in the middle of this. And so that kept me busy because I've stayed at the old house I've been in for 45 years. So you can imagine wow. the tea chest of junk that had to yeah. be disposed Well, I guess, and also with all the stuff that you do, actually having the time to move and the time to... Brilliant resort a new house and redo everything and take time off in between must have actually almost been like well, a bit of a break it was such fun too because i yeah. i think nesting you know making a home is the is the big one of the big thrills of life and i've been very lucky that i've had a couple of times i've been able to start from scratch and build yeah. a house and design it and get the furniture for it and all that stuff and this time, my husband, who I only married six years ago, um, but he's a designer by trade. And so he has been brilliant on color. He's, you know, I'm pretty keen on color, but he is really, really good. Well, at I that. can see, actually, I was just admiring the beautiful turquoise room that you're in now. I mean, what a fantastic, happy color you're in now. Yeah, this is our office. Gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous. As you said, I'm sitting with a sort of white cupboard behind me. You've got this technical. I may have to redecorate my home after this interview, frankly. But let's talk about some of the other things that you do. I mean, particularly, I was really intrigued that you, in light of sort of, you know, it being a year of all about hospitals and everything, that you're part of the of the Sustains campaign for better hospital food, because it always makes me laugh on the few times that, sadly, I have been in hospital and you've had a general anaesthetic or you've had something done whether it be NHS, private, whatever hospital, the food is not what I would describe what you'd ever want when you come round from an anaesthetic. <laughs> I remember once going privately for an operation on my stomach. So you can imagine you feel a little queasy and then coming in going, today there's a duck salad. Um, if you'd like, I was like, oh my God, what happened to sort of tea and toast? Tea and toast is what you want. And actually what I've been mostly involved with recently with hospital food, um, I mean, as you say, I've always been interested in it, but this last year we brought out, the government brought out um, the hospital food report and I was the advisor for that. And we sort of chaired it on and generally um, helped on it. And we came up with eight recommendations and they cover everything from nurses' food to tea and toast and yeah. appropriate food for the you know for each individual. Yeah. Oh, the wonderful thing is that the government have accepted every single one of our recommendations and put the money behind getting it done. So, Fantastic. If, if, if hospital, I mean, it'll take a few years, and some hospitals can't do all of it straight away because they're you know some of these Victorian buildings and shortage of beds and all the rest of it. They can't give up space for a finishing kitchen. or. But within three or four years, we should have all of those recommendations done. And there are 10 new hospitals coming online, and they will be built so that with food in mind, you know, not as a kind of add-on. Well, it's so important because I know as well you feel, you know, which, which I did too, very inspired by, you know, Jamie Oliver in the early days and the whole school dinners mm -hmm. thing, but school food as well. And I, and I know that you feel that it should be a, a, a class in school on nutrition. Yeah. That's what it should actually be. Because I remember, you know, in my school days, I mean, you never learn anything about nutrition or, or as it's now called home economics. They're just It still just doesn't exist, does it, really, in the form of kids really learning 
what they're putting in their it's, mouths. It's anything. very, very rare. It's right down low down the priority list. Actually, the interesting thing is that the law is that children should learn to cook at school up to the age of 14. Wow. It doesn't happen. Only about 14% of schools have any cookery classes at all because it's no good government saying you have to teach children to cook if they haven't got the money for ingredients, they haven't got um, properly equipped kitchens, and they haven't any food teachers. I mean, it's absolutely crazy. At one point, we were desperately trying to recruit more food teachers. Meanwhile, teachers were leaving the profession because they didn't like what they had to teach, which is basically design, you know, how to design a pizza and packaging and, and yeah. um, marketing and, and not cooking. Yeah. And so the food teachers were leaving. So they then decided, well, they wouldn't run food teaching courses anymore because there was no demand for them. Well, yeah. of course there's no demand for them if there isn't a proper job for them to do. I mean, I think, you know, the government understands that they have to, get into education if they want people not to be obese. One of the great things about, frankly, about the prime minister getting COVID and ending up in hospital is he suddenly realized that food matters. What you eat matters. And we need to teach children what to eat if we want to avoid massive obesity, ill health people, but people who are living longer. Yes, they're living longer and more unhealthy lives and more expensively unhealthy lives. Well, that's the thing as well. I think it's also this whole thing that it, that it would cost lots of money and all the rest of it. But actually, as you've said, cooking for the NHS nurses and things, doing things like shepherd's pie and mac and cheese, teaching them those basic things, it wouldn't even have to be super expensive, but it would be no. something that it, it has to start at school. I've always been passionate about it starting at school and I never saw it in my kids' education. I used to go in, I remember going into my daughter's school once, going, can you, because she had one class was taught how to make a cheese sandwich. I was like, that's not cooking really in my books. And they said, well, health and safety, we can't have them handling anything like a knife or raw chicken. And I went, but then how do you ever learn to cook? Like, how would you learn to cook if you can't hold a knife? I mean, they were also like 14. I was like oh my God, this is terrible. Because unless you've got a parent that is teaching a child to cook, right? Who And, and you've got a parent who likes to cook, you're, you're going to cut off the chain. And as you say, we're going to have children that just only get fast food delivered. And that's what we do have. I mean, a, an enormous proportion of the, of the population now does live on takeaways. And so they, the parents are in no position to teach their children because they never learn to cook. Yeah. So it is a huge backup thing we need to do. But the truth is that you only ever get a chance to teach people while they're at school because they're corralled. They have to. I mean, some schools do it absolutely brilliantly. I mean, Finland does it brilliantly right across the country. But there are schools now, not many of them, but I can name two, one in Oxford and one in um, Sheffield, both secondary schools where the children eat vegetarian food at lunchtime, but it is wonderfully good vegetarian food. And they spend all that money they've saved on not having to eat, uh, buy meat, on better vegetables and more interesting veg and so on. And lunch is a lesson and everybody, all the teachers sit down with the children, the whole school sits down together. It's a secondary school, so it's a lot of people. I think they might have two or three sessions, I don't know. Um, And then they discuss, they have a sort of conference, you know, like a debate about the food and where it comes from. Amazing. Whether the the day I was there, they were eating tacos that were filled with different kind of 
fillings and the children could put what fillings they liked in them. And they were all healthy. And so they were, clever. They were talking about Syria and Lebanon and, and um, yeah. Mexico for the tacos. I mean, that's the way to do it, isn't it? Is to make it fun, make it interesting and delicious. Yes, it has to be delicious and it has to be so that children aren't brought up the big bugbear for me, and I don't know if it was the same with your children, I'd have children over who would only eat pasta with butter. That will live with me till the day I used to, I used to be, what What parent has taught you how you, you're allowed to just have <laughs> pasta with just so. butter? And they go, no, they don't eat it with anything else. I'd be like, but but why? why like, why, why haven't not? you tried them with something else? Why have you let them have boiled pasta with butter? It's so boring. And they, uh, no, but that's still very common. I had a couple of little kids here the other day, and um, but it's, they're always worse with, with their parents than they are with yes, you. Yes, that's true. These two came to have supper, and I said, um, what do they like? And she said, um, cheese and pasta. And I said, nothing else? What about eggs? And so, so she said, oh, they like hard, hard-boiled eggs. So I made <laughs> pasta um, with grated cheese on top and chopped up hard-boiled eggs, and the little boy wouldn't eat it because he didn't want to eat it mixed up. I said, but I, I was told you liked butter and cheese and pasta and egg. And he said, but I won't eat it like that. I have to eat it. And so I said, oh, bad luck, bad luck. Then you're going to be jolly hungry, aren't you? It's a pity. So then I just walked away. <laughs> of course, he ate it. And he ate it. He wouldn't have eaten it for his mum. No. And he's also going to grow up, and He's going to go, go, I went over to Prulief's house and I made... <laughs> I made her make me pasta with boiled eggs and cheese. His mother's going to go, I can't believe you did that. Of all the people to make me something delicious, he did that in the wrong house. But it is something that I think parents don't realise how often children do eat what they're given, um, yeah. but they don't know. I mean, I've talked to many dinner ladies who will say, you know, on Parents' Day, they will, everybody will be queuing up with their children and the mum will say, Oh, he won't eat that. He won't eat that. She looks at him and he's astonished. She says he eats it every day. Or he, you know, know. he loves it. Next thing I have to chat to you about, just because it is one of the all-time great shows, is, I mean, The Great British Menu was a sensational show too. I love that. But joining The Great British Bake Off, that must have been just such a, a joy to, to join, basically. Well, it turned out to be a joy. I mean, I had no idea when um, this whole idea of me joining came up quite what a national treasure the thing was you know I didn't yeah. realize I was joining something totally sacred and that if I messed up I would be you know <laughs> disappointing the entire nation so I, I, I went in quite sort of blase and casually but by the time I actually stepped on to, into the tent for the first time I had realized just what I'd taken on because everybody had said yeah. to me oh, you know, Mary Berry will never follow her and all. so I rang up Mary and said you know, <laughs> What am I? What, what have what I taken about, on? What about this? And she said, "I said my main worry was what's it like working with Paul Hollywood? You know, yeah. Because by then I'd watched a few shows and I could see those steely eyes, and I thought, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and she said, um, you know, he's absolutely fine. Don't worry, you know, he's lovely. And so your new show, which again I'm super excited about, I've actually already um, I've interviewed Dr. Rupee, but you're doing this cook clever waste less with Prue and Rupee. That's yeah. Yeah. A brilliant idea. I've sort of been waiting for that kind of new cooking show because it really is, and I think maybe COVID we have to thank for that, about reducing food waste. Because I, you know, when I speak personally, it made me think so much more about what we waste and, and how to, you know, and cooking for less money. It? Yeah. It's terrifying. Anyhow, it's been huge fun. And, and it, 
I was so pleased about Rupi coming on because I've been talking to the producers about this and they said, well, you know, who would you like? We need to be two of you. And um, I suggested Rupi because I had met him. He's a doctor and he had realized that doctors so often just prescribe pills. I mean, it's not their fault. They have so short time to, to for an appointment for a patient that they've got 10 minutes or seven minutes or something. So it's much easier to give them a pill for something than to talk about their lifestyle. So doctors are inclined to give people pills um, because they haven't time to talk to them about their diet. Whereas very often food can be medicine and it it can make you healthy and and certainly bad food can make you unhealthy. So he started this thing called culinary medicine, which actually teaches doctors about nutrition because they get no no nutrition in in their training or very little. And so he teaches doctors not only about nutrition and what food helps, you know, what foods help, what conditions, but he also teaches doctors how to cook because he realizes yeah. that if doctors know what they're talking about, yeah, they're a very authoritative figure. They could be really useful and nurses. And so culinary medicine um, does a lot of good. And so, and because Rupi is fun to be with and he's not pompous and he doesn't, yeah. You know, he doesn't ram things down people's throats. He's just very nice guy. He's a lovely, appealing, but yes, he's yeah. appealing to listen to. I think oh. it's a great combination because, again, I think that we all, it's all about like education and how we sort of manage through this. I think, you know, COVID made everybody think about where their food was coming from. I think it made people shop more locally, yeah. sustaining small businesses, kind of actually put a lot more thought into it. But it, but it certainly made one think about the wastage. I really rethought the way I cooked and got rid of stuff, if I'm honest, during lockdown. Well, yeah, and and it's, it's honest of you to say that, because one of the things that surprised me is, um, which is rather a, a, a dreadful classist prejudice that I had, I suppose, is that I thought that the families that we would, we would end up helping I was really worried because I thought, you know, if they are the sort of families we were talking about before that have, where the parents have never learned to cook and the grandparents have never learned to cook and the children have never seen anything except handheld, what I would call junk, you know, or takeaways, yeah. it's going to be really impossible to change their habits in two weeks, which is what we've got. But in fact, the families that came forward were very often not ignorant about food. Some of them could cook. They just were time poor. They were so yeah. busy. And we had a couple of doctors, for example, who was, you know, had three children. They were, one of them cooked. They had no time to plan things in their head. They, they were throwing away food because they were so worried about the children not eating it properly that they bought too much of everything, gave them too yeah. many options. You know, yeah. ended up with, you know, it's like if you have a cafeteria, you're bound to throw an awful lot of food away because you have to yeah. have, the, have the thing stocked in case yes. somebody wants to eat it. And then what happens at the end of the week? Everything, get, the fridge gets emptied and these packets are still sitting whole untouched. Yeah. Well, I think as well, because fast food has become such a big, I mean, I live in America and, it, and I'm always saying this to people. And I feel terrible because I, I love living here, but very few people cook at home it's like not as prevalent a thing where I live here and you go over to people's houses and I've always been staggered where they go oh you know um Prue's coming we're going to get Chinese for her because she really likes it but we've got pizzas in the oven they'll cook like 
and it's so not even efficient, really. You just think, wow, we've sort of now got this array of 12 different types of cooking in order to satisfy everybody, as opposed to just cooking one dish, teaching kids that that's what it is, as you say, kind of going, well, you'll be very hungry if you don't eat this, but this is what it is. And, and doing that. So I think if you're going to go into people's houses and teach them that, I mean, boy, they will benefit so much from that. Well, I, I, we, I mean, we had a lot of fun with it. I mean, you must watch the program because... I mean, oh, I will. It was amazing what, you know, we ended up with children who thought they wouldn't eat anything, eating it, eating what they were given and, you know. But of course there was the, you know, television helps because they, 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 they all came into this experiment willingly. Yes. So they did give it a go. and they... Well, yeah, that's the good bit of telly. That's, that's why I love reality TV, because okay. if people then want to do it, you will change their lives. Because I do yeah. think that's going to be the thing moving forwards from all of this, is that people are going to have to realise that in order to stay healthy, nutrition is just such a huge part of it. That's right. Absolutely. I know, well, but it, it's taken, you know, I, I'm just hoping that at the moment, I'm quite pleased with this government, because they've got Henry Dimbleby doing the, national food strategy or something i think it's called it's going to be about farming and about imports and about education organics about everything sustainability and so on so if government policy changes yeah. and governments make an effort for example i think it's quite disgraceful that public money should go in schools and prisons and hospitals on inferior food you know it's crazy yeah. for the government not to buy good food yeah. And in fact, to actually make people ill by giving them the bad diet. I mean, I think if, if government attitudes change, which I do honestly believe they are. I mean, I think Michael Goh was very strong when he was um, environment, you know, on, on sustainability. And so the way people are going to farm in future will be far more, you know, the subsidies and stuff will be tilted towards doing the right thing by the planet. Yes. And, and by health and by if the government stick to what they've so, so far said, they will uphold the standards of um, British food, which, which are better than most of the world. I mean, I'm personally we're not worried about chlorinated chicken. I mean, almost everything gets chlorinated, but I do worry about beef full of hormones. Yes, yes, don't, don't we all? I mean, that's, that's the thing. Well, I have to say on my shelf, aside from my Leith's Cookery Bible, which is my Bible, <laughs> Um, you've written 12 cookery books and I, I still passionately love, I know we live in a world where people now have an app and they look on YouTube and they do, I, to me, nothing beats a good cookbook. Nothing beats <laughs> to me opening a page of a well-loved cake recipe and it's got the butter smeared on it and there's a bit <laughs> of flour stuck between the pages. Custom do you think bobs. you'll do more cookbooks or is there less of a demand for that now? Well, no, I've actually now, my total is up to 14 because I've written two cookbooks since I hit my 12th. I wrote 12 cookbooks before I took sort of 20 years off to write novels. Yeah. And, then I, and so I, I came back to three years ago with a cookbook called Prue, which is just sort of my yeah. favorite, favorite recipes. Yeah. And then last year, we published The Vegetarian Kitchen, which my niece and I did together. That's a vegetarian book. And I'm not vegetarian, but I do love good veg and I love vegetarian food. And we, she's, she used to be the um, head pastry chef for the Ivy Group. So we wrote um, this book together and that's been really successful. Well, I'm glad because I, I can't think of a kitchen without a cookbook. 
hanging around in it or to dip in and out or to entice you into the kitchen. So you've got so much going on. I, I mean, I, I genuinely, your multitasking, it puts us all... <laughs> To shame, frankly, um, and I'm and I'm so thrilled that you're, you've got this TV series coming out because I honestly think that will be such a great a great thing. And I know that you've founded your own charity as well, the focus on food, putting food in the curriculum. And again, I mean, my kids are now left school, but boy, would I have loved that to have been in their curriculum. I mean, I have I have taught both of my children. I taught my son how to cook because I said girls will always love and be so impressed if you can cook something. So that worked. That was the bribe that worked with him. So he's got his signature dishes and my daughter's learned to cook. But otherwise, they would never have learned to cook anything other than a cheese sandwich at school. And that would have been tragic. I did one cookery lesson at my school a very long time ago because I'm about to be 56. But it makes me laugh because we went in and to this day, oh, my God, it was good. We used to get this. We got this huge tray, which we lined with that ready-made sweet pastry, cooked it topped it with golden syrup and crushed up cornflakes. And that... Sort of treacle tart, yeah. Yes, that was my cookery lesson. I don't, I don't think I've ever made it again, but I've got to be honest, it was delicious. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you wonder why children are unhealthy. I was like, wow. That, and we would make it in like, not, not any old baking tray. I mean, I'm talking about sort of one that was like two feet by two feet. And these <laughs> chunks of, oh... So good. I have to ask you my last two questions, which are what gives you life and what feeds your soul? Um, I think gives, what gives me life, and you understand this, is, is writing. I mean, I feel if I have something to write, then I've got a purpose and it makes me do it and get up in the morning and, and it sort of turns on the creative juices a bit. You know? So I'd say writing um, is what gives me life. What gives me soul is probably crafts, not so much art, although I do love art, but I'm always absolutely blown away by people who do something beautifully, you know, like origami or um, make fantastic furniture, beautifully inlaid furniture or, or embroidery or any sort of craft thing. So um, other than other than making your homes, do you do crafts? Do you do... I do, but I'm not very good at it. I mean, I've done a bit of stenciling in my time and patchwork. I've done a lot of patchwork. When I, oh, when patchwork. I love a patchwork quilt. I've done two double patchwork quilts that are double bed size. One of them, I took the trouble not to count the stitches, but to work out how many stitches there were. And it was a quarter of a million stitches. Do you see the, the chandelier? Yes. Did you do all of the decorations that are yeah, hanging down? Yeah, it's the champagne. So I did, what it has is got my surplus necklaces hanging on it and teacups. Oh, my tea goodness. Cups. Can you see the teacups? I can see the teacups. Do you know what that is? I was. I didn't see that they were teacups till just now, but I can describe that because I could see it behind your head. And I just thought there's this <laughs> incredible... Okay. Chandelier. If you went into business, if I tell people this is a beautiful chandelier, but it's got teacups and necklaces hanging off it. I love doing that because I think that there's, you know, a lot of um, bought stuff is very, it's perfectly good shape, like the, the basic shape of a chandelier, but it's a bit boring. You know, they're yes. all like, they're like yes. every other one. So, and, and, you know, you could hang anything in it. You it's hang, brilliant. I mean, we all know how to hang, how to decorate a Christmas tree. So this is just we, yes. We just do the I same mean, thing. who 
Listen, trust me, Prue, this is going to take off. I'm telling you now, you're probably going to start to get commissions after this podcast. You'll have to, okay. you'll have to give up the TV. <laughs> <laughs> well, I cannot thank you enough for taking the time out to talk to me today. I am thrilled um, about the new TV show, which I should be watching. And, you know, all the projects that you're doing, I think, have such passion behind them and they're so needed. So we need people like you. Well, thank you. That was really good fun. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe. And also, if you've enjoyed this episode, do leave a five-star review and you can find out more by going to buyemma.co.